This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Ella Jean Ehrlich. I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. I'm Rosie. This is Martina Navratilova. This is Mark Forbes. I'm Andy Murray. That's Rosie G, not Rosie the dog. You're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport and introduced there by a sample of our Kickstarter backers from 20, well, 20, the 2016 campaign, but which funded the podcast throughout 2017. And we're very grateful that that was able to happen. I'm Catherine Whitaker, joined by David Law. And we just want to say, David, don't mean to start with, and we will be talking about actual tennis matters on this one. It won't be entirely Kickstarter dominated, but we can't move on to tennis matters without explaining how overwhelmed and stunned we are once again by the support we've received from you lot yeah first of all we 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 can't really do this without some help and that's what we asked for and my word have you lot given it because um we set ourselves two goals one to fund the weekly show which we met in four days we had 43 days to do it in and we did it in four thanks to the generous backing of all of yourselves um and yeah, I, I must admit, when we set this sort of thing up, and when we, even when we do the podcast, there, there is a moment where Catherine and I are sitting in this unnamed coffee shop in the Putney Exchange, and, and I'm genuinely thinking, is anybody other than the people in the queue to my right actually listening to this? And it turns out there are. And it turns out that, well, many people seem to want it to come back. So, um, you know, at the very least, the weekly show will be back in 2018. We still have some, some Kickstarter backing to get in order to meet our Grand Slam daily shows target, which is uh, there uh, for you to back on kickstarter.com. Just search for Tennis Podcast or follow the links on our Tennis Podcast uh, Twitter or Facebook pages. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll make, make that target before the Australian Open. Yeah, and the rewards categories aren't there as well. And I think we should, in the context of awards categories, there is, of course, the there's there's one level of contribution where you're guaranteed to uh, have your name in the uh, opening titles for the tennis podcast, as you've heard um, in today's episode. You can enter our predictions competition and, well, I'm afraid this category has been snapped up because it was a uh, one t- well not one time only but certainly one it was a unique uh, category and it was snapped up within a matter of hours and the category was to have your a pet of your choice be the tennis podcast mascot for 2018 and I feel like we should mention a certain Mr Charlie the ferret although I don't think Charlie stumped up the funds himself. Well, I think that's probably his mum should get the mention. Uh, yes, I, th- I hear they have a joint bank account. But anyway, <laughs> Charlie is very much uh, our tennis podcast mascot for 2018, and we are absolutely delighted about that and very, very grateful for the contribution as well to his mum. And in terms of the predictions categories, we have a winner of the 2017 predictions competition. It is not either of us 
No. It is a human being. Although though. I did It would win. have been a bit awkward if uh, Rosie the dog had won because uh. the one of the prizes, of course, is to come along to our uh, Christmas do later on today, which Melanie Bowes will be doing. More on that later, but... Predictions news for 2018, David. Drum roll, please. Yeah, well, we already have a number of people who've entered, and you can too. And, and if they're, you've all they're all special. They're all special. In their own way. But we also but. have a Grand Slam semi finalist from the Australian Open twice in 1992 and 2003, Mr. Wayne Ferreira, who we didn't even know was a listener. He didn't enter under the name Wayne Ferreira, did we? We had to do a little bit of detective work to identify that it was Wayne Ferreira. He was very low key about it all, wasn't was, he? Wasn't he? Yeah, a bit like he was as a player, really. David sent out an email saying, what name would you like to be entered under? And he sort of said, well, my name, my name is Wayne Ferreira. Yeah, and I had to say, what, the Wayne Ferreira? Like the one who won Queens in 1992? So, calling other Grand Slam semi-finalists, David. Yeah. They, could, they could have their own little competition amongst themselves, couldn't exactly. they? Who yep. is the greatest predictor among Grand Slam semi-finalists? Who, who is on our target list? I think Henman. I think Edmund can chip in and he enter, can, yeah, can't he? Yeah, he can. Yevgeny Kafelnikov is a listener. Yeah? Let's get him on. Calling, calling Yevgeny Kafelnikov. Who else have we got that we know tunes in every, every now and then? Marin Chilich has listened. Jonas Bjorkman, I think. Yeah. He's, he's a Grand Slam semi-finalist as well. Absolutely. So, so yeah. there you go. If, you, if you're a Grand Slam semi-finalist that hasn't stumped up and entered, what are you doing? And just imagine you can beat a Grand Slam semi-finalist at something tennis-related. Pretty cool. That's a good point, isn't it? That's probably the greatest accolade, <laughs> well, tennis-related accolade yeah, you that any of us are ever likely to achieve. Uh, now then, David. Who won the internal competition, by the way? <laughs> there was no internal competition. There was. That was never discussed. And that I wasn't won. pre-agreed. Um, the main um, focus of today's episode is going to be our end-of-year awards because it is, of course, the, the off-season, although calling it a season is utterly preposterous because it's about three and a half. It's not even a full Actually, month, really, is it? it's more of an off-season than it's been in recent years because there's no IPTL. And I think that, although that, was, that event had some, some merits, some virtues to it, I think it is very much to the benefit of the game generally that actually this does feel like an off-season. I mean, for a start, I'm pulling my hair out because there's no tennis to talk about live, right? Um, I'm delighted to be sitting here in a coffee shop with you, Catherine, talking about tennis generally. But, you know, we've still got about another two weeks to go till the tennis season starts, and that's the whole point, isn't it? We yeah, can't wait for getting it to the start. chance to miss it, I do yeah. think, is important, albeit for a very, very short period uh, relative to other sports. But I do think missing it is important yeah. both for us as fans and for the individual I think you know a bit of time away and well, that gets us on to Roger Federer which we'll, we'll leave Federer until the awards categories because I'm sure he'll I'm sure he'll pop up once I was, right, I was right then about Nick Kyrgios needing a break wasn't I and Sloan Stevens and all that sort of thing well hang on it remains to be seen with those two we don't know what's going to happen at the beginning of the year. Anyway, we need to be asking Melanie Bowes what's going to happen in 2018. Yeah, uh, she gets everything right. We need to right. be asking her for the lottery numbers. That will to be tell happening my fortune, later. All of that kind of stuff. Anyway, but even though it is the off season, there are just a few bits of tennis news to cover that have arisen since our last podcast, uh, the Davis Cup final, a few weeks ago. Now. I don't know whether we can, cate- can categorise the uh, merry-go-round of gossip surrounding whether or not Serena Williams will participate in the Australian Open 2018 as news, but it is certainly something that the tennis world is absolutely blooming loving speculating about, oh, isn't it? It's delicious, isn't it, to just ruminate to, on. To the extent that I think it is going to be an enormous disappointment now if she doesn't play, because it, it is already the focus. It's so much the focus of that tournament, her, I know, the, her questionable participation. Right now is a bit like the first day of the new Premier League football season, isn't it? When you still <laughs> when think... When no one's been sacked. Yeah, nobody's lost, and you still think your team, your Reading or my West Bromwich Albion can can do a Leicester and win it all. I mean, obviously Reading can't because they're not even in the right division. But you know, at the moment it all West seems Brom can't for other reasons. But yeah, at the moment it all seems so perfect and so so exciting. 
because at the moment, as far as we know, Serena Williams and Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic and Stan Wawrinka and Nick Kyrgios and all these people are all coming back. They're all going to be at sudden full fitness. They'll be locking horns with Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer and Grigor Dimitrov, who's finally pulled his socks up, and, and, and Alexander Zverev, who's pulled his socks up at the US Open. Oh, dear, that was an awful look. And Denis Shapovalov, who's made it all so exciting. At the moment, that's how it seems to us on the 18th of December. But in about two weeks' time, probably two of them will have pulled out. The best thing for me about the Serena Williams speculation is that Serena Williams seems to be enjoying it as much as anyone and is fueling it furiously. I love that because one of the biggest pieces of evidence that we have, and there is, there is evidence to the contrary as well, but one of the biggest pieces of evidence that she will play is a photo that she put on social media this week of some sparkly trainers gold and white trainers which uh, sneakers if you're in the United States yeah. uh, which uh, were on tennis courts and had her feet in them it looked and like and had the um, tagline ready or something no, or it, coming it, it, soon it said or excited excited there so we go. excited or, yeah. or something of that ilk and, and well you know I, I think I, I, yeah, that that was a fantastic. I I just don't think you would do that unless you you plan to come back. However, so I should, for balance, uh, state the evidence to the contrary. She is confirmed, has been announced for a speaking engagement in the states, uh, bang smack in the middle of the Australian Open. Uh, that was reported by Ben Rothenberg um, of rival uh, Twitter, uh, of rival podcast parishes, earlier this week, and he also pointed out that that was the first piece of evidence in the puzzle that Serena Williams would be disappearing from the tennis landscape for a while because she signed up for, before she had announced her pregnancy. It was noticed that she had committed to a speaking engagement in America in May, bang smack in the middle of Rome, and that made a few people raise some eyebrows. So she's got previous with speaking engagement yeah, commitments. Video conferencing can Come work, on. can't it? You think she's going to be video conferencing in the middle of an Australian Open campaign? Yeah, she could do it. Night before a quarter final, she's staying up until four a.m. or I can't work out the time difference off the top of my head. But what to, you don't to, think to she do, can? To do it, <laughs> I do. Of course, she can. She could. It's not ideal though. She could. She could carry out the conference call while playing the quarter final, probably. I don't know. I, I think you know, that sit down. Uh, when right. I saw that, I my heart. Sunk. No, I have to say, it's you're just a, you're just an screen. optimist, Dave. Do you, do you think screen. so? Do you are you yeah. thinking I, she's I playing? Think, well, the, the are other you end, in the Craig Diley camp? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not quite as bad as Craig, although I Craig, think, who's put her on the front cover of the program. Yeah, I tell you, I, I think I'm going out for a, a night out move. with Craig. I wonder Tiley. if there's a, a spare edition somewhere. No, I think. Do you not think so? I think you, that, you don't think they prepared an alternative program edition without her on the cover? No, I, I can't. I just, I don't, I don't want my illusions to be shattered, Catherine, or or, or, or Nor those of the many people listening to the tennis podcast right now. I think, I think she's coming coming back at the Australian Open. Will she play a warm up event? Or do you think she'll come in cold? Oh, I think she will coming cold do you yeah do you think she'll win it no where's melanie when you need her <laughs> melanie bose tell us what's gonna come happen back and not win it because there's um, no way she's coming back unless she's pretty confident she's winning it right so you're disagreeing with serena herself is effectively well, what no, you're saying i don't doubt for a second that she thinks she can win it and will win it i just don't think she will Oh right. crikey! Why have I said that? I don't that? know. I did, look, I am. Um, <laughs> I desperately wanted to. As I say, I, I, it's been hyped up so much. It's that a, it's I, the story I now... of all the comebacks. This is the. Yeah. One, I mean, you know, we're all excited to know what will happen with Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray and Stan Wawrinka and, and all these others. All of them. But she's the most interesting of the lot. Obviously, they have. Assuming she does come back, they have been utterly spoiled. The Australian Open, haven't they? In recent years, I mean, last year to think that. That last year there could be a, uh, that after last year there could be a story that could parallel what happened last year with Federer and Nadal is, and all of that. A, we, is, is we've been we've been running down as we prepare for the new Grand Slam season. We've been highlighting on social media, our Twitter and Facebook pages, 
and going through one at a time all of the Grand Slam Daily podcasts of last year, starting with the Australian Open. And I've listened to quite a few of those Australian Open ones. You, you forget just how much happened. Because for a start, you come into that Australian Open with a, a world number one Andy Murray, which is a great story in itself, and a returning champion in Novak Djokovic. You have them lose quite early on, and yet you still don't end up with a disappointing climax to the tournament you, the the complete it's opposite pretty much unheard of yeah. isn't it it to, was yeah. so such a cool event the rest of the bits and bobs of tennis news we have to cover before our awards david all concern the coaching carousel i've got a new one i'm about to boggle your mind a bit i'm just going to i'm just going to run through all, all of the major ones i know there there have been more than i'm about to go through but there are so many Names that I'm about to read out. <laughs> if I've missed any, if I've missed any significant ones, then you can, um, you can and will, I'm quite sure, um, point that out. So we've got Joe Conter, who is split with Wim Fissett. She described that relationship as having run its course. She, Conter, is now with Michael Joyce, who was formerly with Maria Sharapova until about 2011, and also Victoria Azarenko, who by the by, has been confirmed as having been awarded a wild card to the Australian Open. Another exciting comeback. We have Naomi Osaka, who has dropped David Taylor. More of that in a moment. You never and know, is do now, you? Have they and, dropped them? Is oh, it mutual? Oh, 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 it's intriguing, isn't it? And is now with Sasha Bajin, formerly of the Caroline Wozniacki Parish. We have Yelena Ostapenko, who has teamed up with David Taylor, formerly of the Naomi Osaka Parish. We have Donna Vekic, who has teamed up with Torben Belts, formerly of the um, Angelique Kerber Parish. And Angelique Kerber, to complete that little circle from earlier, has employed the services of Wim Fissette, formerly of many parishes, but most recently the Joe Conta Parish. Um, Last uh, bit of coaching news on the women's side, Carolina Pliskova, um, is with Thomas Kruper, formerly who she reportedly stole from the hands of her countrywoman Barbora Stritzova. And to complete that little cir- circle, Stritzova has now employed the services of David Cortiza, who was formerly with Karolina Pliskova. And yeah. Petra Kvitova. And Petra Kvitova before that. And on the men's side, uh, the biggest headline is probably Novak Djokovic employing uh, the now-retired Radek Stepanek. Um, we understand that Andre Agassi is still involved in that team. They're not quite putting a name on his role, but he has been in Monte Carlo with Djokovic and Stepanek, so he certainly is involved. Um, we also have uh, Stan Wawrinka and Magnus Norman splitting up, which I think we reported on our... We have reported, but what we haven't yet reported is the comments, the, the pretty heartfelt, um, honest comments from Stan Wawrinka saying he was really upset um, by Magnus Norman's decision to, to leave his team. Yeah, yeah. he... he it was presented as very amicable at the time. Yeah. And, yeah, certainly I his quotes appear the, to the be... impression I got that was felt a bit left in the lurch. He said, this is when I need him most, and he's left me. Um, get the violins out. And we also have, for me, the biggest surprise of them all, Marin Cilic and Jonas Bjorkman splitting up. I mean, that seemed, of all the amicable, delightful bromances You were in quite tennis, put out by that, I was. What, what can possibly have gone wrong and that, that just, makes, those two that just makes me doubt that any two human beings can ever coexist in a harmonious way forevermore yeah because I, I, it, it just seemed the most harmonious of, of relationships I, I think with a lot of these partnerships when you involve a former player or a super coach I think you see a lot of them breaking down or ending at the point of how much time can you commit how much do you think Jonas has resigned in order to focus his attentions on the tennis broadcast predictions competition which you'll soon be entering as a Probably. former Grand Slam semi-finalist I would have thought so you know I mean it, it does require a lot of if you read between the lines power. of the statement that it's there somewhere it's there uh, one of the coaching change you forgot to mention is, the, is, is how I've stolen your coach ahead of our match um, Matthew Whitaker, if you didn't notice, <laughs> uh, is uh, is now joining Team Law. Is he? Um, so yeah, 
Uh, in fact, we are going to have that rematch this this next year, 2018. Yeah, yeah. It's going to happen yeah, finally, four years on. Um, do you have any um, either particular? If you've got nothing interesting to say, then I do, I do. you don't need to say anything. The, the, it sort of speaks for itself. Well, you, do you have any particular comments about any of those individual matchups or about the coaching merry-go-round most as a of whole? The, most of the coaching alliances in the last two or three years that we've really focused on have involved super coaches. And, and there's a... There's not one on that list. A real so all due respect to Radek Stepanek, you know, yeah. a super coach Actually, is loosely defined I, I, as a... To me, he's the most interesting one of the lot because of the type of player he was, the way I think his mind works, the way he had to use his brain in order to to get wins um, because he didn't have the he didn't have a Djokovic like game. And, and he's got a little bit of previous because he sort of had an unofficial mentoring relationship with Nick Kyrgios for a while last mm. season, didn't he? So he's got a bit of previous in that kind of a a brotherly, elder, mentory sort of role. I tell you well. what, I think we might find we get a bit more of out of Djokovic with um, with Stepanek joining up. I, I think we might get a bit of the old. He might help to unearth a bit of the old defiance in Djokovic because Stepanek was has always been a guy who just doesn't care who he upsets. And I think for the last year or so. Djokovic had become a little too mellow, to be honest. I think he was too happy with his lot for the last year. I know he look. He, let's let's not do down his injury. He had a, he had what sounded like a really nasty uh, elbow injury as well, and, and ultimately that's going to play a big part of in his decline. But I think the edge had gone from him. I mean, he said as much himself. Stepanek is such a, a prickly character. It's somebody I've always liked personally. I've always gotten well with Radek Stepanek, but crikey, doesn't have rub people up the wrong way. Um, he he's and almost almost delights in it. Oh, he loves it, yeah. he, and I'm sure it was part of his game plan. You know, if I get under these guys' skin, imagine how much better my chances are. He doesn't. He's not out there to just make friends all the time. And I really mean it. There, there are players who just. Oh, he just drives them wild with the, with the way he behaves on the court, Radek Stepanek. And I just think that he'll be in Djokovic's ear a little bit, and he'll be he'll be saying, "Listen, you know, you were at your best when the whole crowd was against you in Roger Federer's corner, and you just said, "Come on, then, take you all on." And I think that might work. I think that might work. What about all these super coaches that have sat on the sidelines now, twiddling their thumbs? Do you think? they want to be do you think it, it's been proven to have sort of run its course because um, they aren't able to commit the sort of time that these players want or do you think it's a cyclical thing or yeah. I don't, uh, what's going on interesting one Goran, because Goran's been sat by the phone for, for six months <laughs> they do all appear to have a little bit of a shelf life uh, they don't seem to be long lasting partnerships these sort of things because these are not career coaches I think that they they come in they have an immediate effect uh, and it's usually an, a sort of intangible one they, they make a difference but you maybe even the player doesn't know how to explain what that difference is because I think a lot of it is between the years they've been there and they've done it and they can just they can connect with with a player and and help them over the line um, but once that's done it's kind of been done and and then where else do they go so they're probably pound for pound very expensive for the for the short amount of time that they put into the role some of the very biggest names um and actually it feels like agassi is almost the only one that's still around Juan Carlos Ferrero and Sasha's has just come to me we were discussing this uh, before we started recording trying to think of uh who's still around as super coaching Ag- agassi in the very loose role and one Carlos Ferrero with with Zero. Mm. but I can't think of any others no in terms of if is Michael hang on Michael Chang Kei Nishikori yeah it's just that Nishikori has been so yeah. inactive of late it's difficult to know yeah. what's going on with him really yeah that has all gone a bit quiet it, 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 it's really interesting I I don't know whether there are more announcements coaching announcements still to come I, th- I would have thought open. the majority of it is done now, um, and I, I love all that. You you reeled them all off. I think it just adds something really interesting to go into the new season with. How much actual difference it makes, uh, I don't know. 
you know, I, no, well, it's, it's a very unscientific process, isn't it? One of our categories on the upcoming awards is Coach of the Year, and you don't have the... I've tried to base that on who I think who's been the biggest difference maker what, where would that player otherwise be what would they otherwise have achieved in the past 12 months were it not for the influence of that person and that's guesswork it's Todd Woodbridge, total guesswork another friend of the tennis podcast who's been a, a guest of ours hey, and hey, who he no could doubt enter. will want to enter when he's heard this um, our predictions competition because he's a competitive soul he immediately upon reading news of Naomi Osaka no longer working with David Taylor, he said, what is it with these players that they... I mean, I'm, I, I dare say Todd knows David Taylor and probably... Yeah, he worked uh, with Sam Stoza for a long yeah. time, didn't he? So. Um, but he, he was very quick to say, you know, the, these players, they just want a, a sprinkling of stardust or gold dust on them that's going to just make all the difference. And I, I noticed that when we've spoken to Pat Cash about his coaching relationship with Coco Vandeweghe, he's so quick to pull back from any idea that he can yeah, make some miraculous difference just by clicking his fingers. And, and, and he was so keen to take attention away from the idea that she can now win a slam or that she should now win a slam. He, all he was interested in was the day-to-day improvements. Now, ultimately, we'll find out whether he, whether his, what his career trajectory is like with her in the long run. But I like that idea that even somebody is seasoned as he is and as big a name as he is has been all the way isn't just coming along and thinking he can just make some snap verdict on her game and suddenly it all clicks into place he, he's all about it, it's, dealing with every element of her game it's marginal gains isn't it yeah uh, marginal and gains a, and absolutely a, right. a, a coach can be a one of a myriad of, of marginal gains Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Should we move on to our awards? I presume you've prepared some kind of uh, special jingle for these awards, David. Shall I leave a, a gap? To insert jingle, a special end of year tennis podcast awards jingle. Da, da, da. Tennis podcast awards, 2017. So the tennis podcast awards 2017. I'm going to preface this with news that David Law is responsible for devising the awards category. So please direct all feedback, positive or negative, towards at David Law Tennis on the categories. I certainly will be doing so. Tell during you, you've this already recording. given me your your feedback, and most of it was scathing. 
And you've gone right in there, David. Uh, I mean, player of the year, <laughs> men's and women's is top. Who have you got then? You're supposed to sort of hold that back to the end, like well, sports personality. I ran a pole vault on this very subject uh, oh. to find out what people thought uh, at Tennis Podcast, and we had a massive response. Um, I asked, Hang on, we should, again, we should preface this pole vault news with the fact that you have to provide a shortlist. Yes, well, I, I first of all asked who's the player of the year, and lots of people wrote in. That's the sound of a smoothie being made. Well, the, the <laughs> smoothie ma- maker the is named coffee shop. The smoothie maker is trying to get its opinion out there about the player of the year for 2017, the male tennis player of the year. Um, and anyway, the. the the two players that led it obviously were Nadal and Federer I had to add in David Goffin because your dad thought he should be part of it um, and then I also had someone else who and why um, so do you want to know the response or do you want to ju- let's, let's just hear what you think first who, sh- who should be player of the no, year no 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 we're, we're in, the, we're in okay. let's get this over with right. well Roger Federer's got 56% of the vote unsurprising uh, 1,136 yeah. votes uh, Rafael Nadal's got 34% David Goffin I don't quite know how has managed 7% uh, some people saying how can Grigor do Dimitrov's not in ahead of him, given that he won the end-of-season championships. Um, And uh, then someone else has only got 3%. Well, I I mean, look, I'm not... I am not going to argue with people that think Roger Federer is the player of the year. I think there is a very strong argument for that. However, I've tried to be scientific, as scientific as possible, about it, because otherwise you're just voting for your favourite player, aren't you? Which I think it's hard not to. Um, But then if you take being scientific about it to its logical conclusion, you're just going to go with who finished top of the rankings um, because that's the most scientific measure of who's had the best year. So I've tried to be scientific about it without being so dull as just to pick the two world number ones. Um, and the, the best way, which is it's not logically ideal, but the best way I have been able to find in my limited brain of doing that is by going through the achievements of the year and who has surprised me the most. And for that reason, I've gone for Rafael Nadal. Because if you'd said to me precisely 12 months ago, which of these things... I should say, I think the shortlist on the men's side is Nadal and Federer. As much as I think um, Goffin is right to be on the shortlist and Dimitrov agreed with whoever wrote that on Twitter should probably be on the shortlist as well. I think you've... You've got to come down to Nadal and Federer. Um, for me, it comes down to 12 months ago, if you'd said which of these two things is more likely, Roger Federer winning the Australian Open and Wimbledon and finish the, finishing the year world number two, or Nadal winning uh, Decima French Open and the US Open and finishing the year world number one, I would have said the Federer one was marginally more likely. So for that reason, I've gone for Rafael Nadal because what he's done this year has astounded me marginally more than what Federer has done he's been beaten four times out of four by Roger Federer yeah I mean I I think there's a very strong argument for Roger Federer as I say it can't be 100% scientific I've given you my reasons I I think there are strong counter reasons that is one of them but you know you talk about being surprised by Rafael Nadal Roger Federer couldn't play tennis for six months and he came out and won the Australian Open I'm not bruising for a fight here (laughs) I'm David, put in the counter. I I don't think it's a open and shut case. I'm just saying I have marginally come down on the side of Rafael Nadal. You've gone for Roger Federer, clearly. I have given it as a joint. Oh, for award. goodness, we're moving on. No, Women's. No, oh, this is. Ridiculous. I've given it as a joint award to Rafael Nadal no. and Roger Federer. Th- and here is, is my reason. No, no, no. Here no, is my no, reason. No. You've made a mockery of the awards, and Jonathan... we're about two and a half minutes into the award segment of the podcast. Jonathan Liu, formerly of the Telegraph, wrote a very interesting piece on the Independent website about how it is okay to sit on the fence. And the reason it is okay... What, in an awards show, it's not? It is, though, if that oh. is the right answer. I'm... Don't have an opinion just to say you've had an opinion. That's what the crux of his piece said. And I think he's right. And I think you can't pick between them. So I'm giving it to both of them. David Law's new motto is, don't have an opinion. And Unless on that note, right. we move on... <laughs> Reluctantly to the rest of our categories. Women's Player of the Year, what you got? Uh, Women's Player of the Year, I've gone for Garbinia Magarutha, the Wimbledon champion, who, although not top of the rankings, I feel, well, I said at the start of the year she would be world number one. I think she should have ended up as the world number one. I actually think that she she messed it up. It should have. The rankings don't lie. 
What do you mean should no, have? No, I, I mean, I think she blew it, is what I'm saying. I, I really do. I, I think she was in pole position to finish world number one, and she blew it. No, I don't want to take anything away from Simona Halep, and I dare say I am taking something away from her there. But the fact of the matter is that, to me... I, I feel the slams are important and she was the highest ranked player with a slam last year or tw- in 2017 so she would be my pick again I've tried to be have you given it joint between certainly blooming haven't David um, I've tried to think about it as scientifically as possible because again otherwise you're just picking your favourites and, and you know everyone's just going to have a there's, there's just no right or wrong or you know what's the point um and I've been through the list and, and I was, you know, thinking Gabini Muguruza for, for the reasons you said, but then just didn't feel quite right. So I started to think, but who has done something this year that nobody else has done? Because we've had um, four different people winning Grand Slams and there's four different four different Grand Slam winners in the women's, yeah. And uh, we've had uh, five different women at, at world number one, so I was just not able to see the wood for the trees. And then it came to me, Serena Williams won her Grand Slam whilst pregnant. And that's something that no one else has done. As far as we know, it's something no one else has done in history, although we don't know that for sure. We just don't have it confirmed. So for that reason, I've gone for Serena Williams. Oh. Struggling to argue with that one. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite good. I'm still going Muguruza for the for the well, reasons. Well, don't, don't have an opinion for the sake of having an opinion, David. No, Doubles I team of the year. I have no intention to do so. Uh, doubles team of the year uh, has to go to Hingis and Chan for Hang me. Hang on. Well, we, uh, well, I thought we were doing men's first. But you're right, ladies first. Yeah, well, you're quite right. I, I I would go with Hingis and Chan for sure. No question about it. Uh, on the women's side for doubles team of the year, I was pretty torn, really, um, on what I was thinking Makarova versus Nina because they won the Wimbledon final six love, six love, and that is, that's a pretty absurd achievement, isn't it? I mean, but then uh, for sentimentality, it's the last time she can do it, so I've gone for Hingis and Shan. Yeah. yeah. Not, I've completely broken my own rules of. Uh, of scientificness there but I also think special plaudits to Chan for managing to keep Hingis's planned retirement a secret all year yeah I, I think I think she gets a little a booster of points that's good going for that a men's doubles team of the year David I have gone for Henry Continent and John Piers because I feel so guilty about us not mentioning them uh, on our O2 finals show we didn't give them a mention. They were extraordinary. They won the title again. Uh, they haven't finished the year as the top. I think they finished the year as the second-ranked pair to Kubot and Mello. But nonetheless, I've gone for them out of guilt. <laughs> I love the honesty. Well, I'm going for Mello and Kubot uh, because I think you... You know, they're, they're a Grand Slam title-winning team who finished world number one. And, you know, you can't say fairer than that, can you? So I have to go with them. Doubles Player of the Year. You, you. This is um, this is one that we've not gone for men's and women's individual categories on this. We've just got one Doubles Player of the Year. Who you gone for? Kingis. Just for sentimental reasons. No, she's just the best doubles player on the planet. I mean, she won the mixed doubles titles with Jamie Murray as well, and I think I think she should go down as one of the all-time great doubles players. Her and Martina Navratilova. I, I can't bet you think she'll of better um, doubles players. Coach. By the way, I don't think she'll yeah. be able to stay away. No, she's, I she's agree dabbled, with you. hasn't she, with Belinda Bencic? Um, and uh, I reckon she will pop up as Talking a coach. Talking of pretty who? Soon. Belinda Bencic has yeah, just won her third tournament of, in a row. I mean, you know, it's yeah, no 18th, season for Belinda. 18th of December. And she's yeah, her, a, a comeback from her in 2018 would be very welcome indeed. I've gone for Pierre Hugues Ebert um, because he was the best player in the rubber, which decided the Davis Cup final and he's also a lovely and he's a lovely chap (laughs) he's a lovely chap Um, match of the year David well this is a tough one such a tough one have you devised a shortlist I have got a shortlist my shortlist of three stroke four but no the three would be Kerber against Muguruza at Wimbledon Um, 
Nadal against Dimitrov in the Australian Open and Kyrgios Federer in Miami. To me, those are standout matches throughout the year. And I'm so torn. I mean, the, the thing is, all three of them just made me happy to be alive in this era, really. Watching them just... I was bursting out my skin with excitement if watching If you're talking them. your way, as much as I like hearing about you bursting out of your skin, if you're talking your way into a fence-sitting, I'm going to cut you off no, here and now. No, when have I ever done that? Um, no, I'm not, actually. Um, what am I saying? Uh, I, I think I'd have to go Nadal and Dimitrov because they sustained it over five sets... And they did it to the slam. Those two factors, to you know, it's so often in a five-set match that you see a real dip in level, and we just didn't in that match. I mean, I think um, some of the tennis we saw in Kyrgios Federer was the most the most uplifting of the lot. That, but it was that, in, that for me was the best men's three-set non-grand slam yeah. match of, of the year. I agree with you about Muguruza Kerber. I also had a couple of other women's matches in the shortlist. I had Svitolina Garcia in Beijing, which. Most people probably didn't see, and certainly nobody in Beijing saw it because it was played at about four o'clock in the morning to a completely empty stadium, and that made me so sad because it was one of the best matches of the year without question. I also have Bouchard Sharapova in Madrid. Oh, yeah. that in was there. A, and that's really the only thing that Bouchard did all year yeah. of any note at all, and she'll be cropping up later in the awards. And it was extraordinary. Um, but for no reason other than I have a video on my phone of uh, of the Eurosport green room in Melbourne during the, I think it's uh, during the fourth set of that Dimitrov-Nadal match and I, I won't name drop who was in there but you know Mats Volander was sat there with the, his jaw was on the floor for most of it I mean I've said before watching Mats Volander watch tennis is almost better is than watching tennis Is he not a name drop then? Oh, he, to- he totally is. But anyway, I had to get that in there. And just watching the video of watching people watch that match gave me goosebumps. I'd forgotten I had taken that video and uh, it gave me goosebumps. So I've gone for that so one So we're in well. agreement. We're in agreement. How about that? Newcomer of the year, David. Again, we haven't separated this into men's or women's. So you can have your pick of uh, the full smorgasbord of genders. Well, All two of them. I mean, I, I think in many ways I would go for Ostapenko, but I don't regard her as a newcomer because she was around before. To me... It has to be somebody we hadn't heard of 12 months ago. No, but, but uh, to me it has to be somebody who's just really announced themselves this year. And to me that is Shapovalov. I know that he had his match that you covered in Toronto, wasn't it, uh, the year before. But this year... He, he took over the, the conversation so many times and I, I really didn't expect that. Not that I'm saying that I didn't expect Ostapenko to either, but I, you know, she had been playing in events that I'd commentated on before that. She will, she will appear in my, my awards, but yeah, definitely for me, Shapovalov. Well, I've gone for Ostapenko. <laughs> okay, well, Ostapenko... Yeah, she was around, but we hadn't talked about her on the podcast, David. And that, I mean, and that's really the marker of success, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, frankly. The degree to which you get talked about on this podcast. You don't exist if you don't. <laughs> yeah. Really. Um, I mean, she won a flipping Grand Slam title and there is not one person on the planet, not even Melanie Bowes, who was predicting that that would happen well, a year ago. So yeah, I've, I've seen what she picked. I've so, gone for Ostapenko. But moving swiftly on to most improved player of the year, that I've gone for Denis Shapovalov. <laughs> Ostapenko for right. me. Okay. Because um, I could not have imagined a player at the level that I'd seen her play at for basically two years coming out and producing anything like she did at that, that French Open. It was so inspiring to watch the way she performed at that French Open. It was, it, as you say, it was the, the, one of the most shocking runs that I've ever seen to a title that was Becker like that's how that's how much out of the blue it felt like yeah I mean those two categories um are do you go sort of arm in arm don't they they are again feedback on categories goes to at David Lord Tennis I did take a hammering on them <laughs> uh, you were pleased um, to know now then I suspect um there could be some fervent debate over the next one although I could well Without further ado, um, comeback player of the year. 
David, did you do a pole vault on this? Uh, I can't remember. Um, lots of people are saying, uh, well, lots of people got confused because lots of people are saying matches. Um, right, which is a separate category, <laughs> I, I should uh, Which is why I opened out. that category immediately. Right. Um, but no, comeback player of the year for me... I mean, I think you could go for you could go for Benchich, who we've just been talking about, who's been out all year. There's so many you could go for. You could go for Nadal. You could go for Sloane Stevens. You could go for Roger Federer. But surely it has to be Petra Kvitova. Just the fact that she's even playing the sport is just yeah. a miracle, really. I, I agree. When when I first saw Combat Player of the Year, I sort of idly, without thinking, wrote Federer and then stopped myself in my tracks and um, chastised myself. So you should. Um, because, of course, it's Petra Kvitova. Um, what, what, we've discussed at length what she went through and how horrific it is and how horrific it continues to be I think to sort of talk about her as someone whose comeback is done and over you know this is something that will be with her for the rest of her career that she well it's miraculous that she's managed to come back this quickly to the level she has yeah we're talking about someone that's you know she's done an interview um this week where she's talked about her new hand you know she is it's not about getting back to where she was or being the player that she was she's a new person now and a new tennis player she said to build herself is something different we're talking about a player that I know she hasn't used these these words but she had a panic attack on the court at Wimbledon this year against Madison Brengel she's she's living with this every day and um she is extraordinary so sorry Roger yeah I think I think he it. would be okay with yeah, losing out probably come back in a match of the year which is a cumbersome category title. It's come off it. That's a good one, that. Come back in a match of the year. That, that solved a problem for me, that um, Now, I am torn here. I think there's a very clear men's winner here, and I think there's a very clear women's well, winner. Well, one or two people have gone for Halep against Svitolina, I think. Halep was uh, 5-1 down in the third set at the French Open and ended up winning. Obviously, there is the one a couple of rounds later when she was leading that French Open final, final by a, six, a set and three love and Ostapenko came back and won the title. Which I think uh, you have to give a strong shout to that because of the significance of it. Regis However, Corblin is uh, saying sock against Edmund when he was 5-1 yeah, love point. down and, and ended up winning the title in Paris and getting to the 0-2. But countless people yeah, it, have gone with the, the other one. Which the, is. The, the, the thing is, I think a, a, a men's match is always going to win this because coming from two sets to love down is something that yeah. the, the, the women are restricted from yeah. doing at the moment. Vicky Sampson, David White, Yvonne Raptis, Stephen Malloy. They've all gone the with Delpo coming back from two sets to love down against Dominic Team And the Lurgy. And the Lurgy. And, I mean, the drama. Yeah, my only regret from uh, that particularly sensational comeback is I think I ended up not uh, directly from the man himself, uh, but catching that Juan Martín del Potro Lurgy, which ended up doing the rounds due to his continued presence in the tournament. He did particularly well to get through that match, considering, didn't he, given the fact that you missed about three shows. uh, Oh, I, 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 I... couldn't see straight I was an absolute disaster yeah so uh, well done Del Potro um, coach of the year David well there are so many different um, candidates and actually I have to be perfectly honest here I, I I made my selection after putting three names up for a pole vault and being asked by the person herself why she wasn't in it <laughs> which I absolutely loved because uh, my pole vault said um, Darren Cahill, Carlos Moyer, and Ivan Lubicic. So Cahill coaching Halep to world number one, obviously fantastic achievement. Lubicic being part of the Roger Federer coaching team, and I do feel he had a, a tangible impact, particularly on the backhand side. There are noticeable before and after feels to the, the impact he had. Uh, Carlos Moyer with Rafael Nadal, I really think he's made a big difference. Um, it's one of those that's so difficult to measure other than looking at the results, really, isn't it? And, and getting a feel for what you think they might have offered. I had a response to that from Annabel Medina, who, uh, who did those sort of starey eye 
emojis back at me uh, as if to say, how come, I aren't, how come I'm not in this? Well, of course, Anabon Medina Garrigas was uh, the coach of Yelena Ostapenko uh, who, when she won the French Open. And it did make me think, first of all, yes, she should be part of this pole vault. And, and secondly she's my selection and it's not just because she's shamed me into thinking that but it remind, did remind me that when commentating on, on her on Ostapenko's matches the way she was able to deal with Ostapenko in difficult moments in on-court coaching you know, the impact she was having how calm she was how considered and how, how sensible the strategy seemed to be and the, the difference it seemed to make and look the results are there for all to say. The woman winner of Grand Slam title. She didn't do that all on her own. So for me, coach of the year, Anabel Medina Garrigas, who is now the Fed Cup captain of Spain. Yeah, I, I, she she certainly deserves to be in the shortlist. All of those you mentioned should be, and, and I, I particularly appreciate the, it, what, what's so difficult about coaching is attempts to be scientific about it are almost futile because um, you don't you need the control sample of what they would have done without that coach it's impossible to quantify the difference that that coach um, makes and I, I like the the Lubicic thing where you've had Roger Federer say very specifically you've got the tangible result of the backhand Ivan told me that I could be more aggressive on the backhand particularly on the return um, so I, I, I was favouring him but in the end I have gone for Darren Cahill because I I see the difference that he makes to Simona Halep. I think if on-court coaching were allowed in the slams, again, this is pure speculation, not massively scientific, but I think were it allowed in the slams, she probably would have won one by now. I don't think it's an accident um, that the only thing missing from her resume is a Grand Slam title and on-court coaching is not permitted for for the women at slams, or for the men, of course. Um, And uh, I think... um, the bravery of his stance earlier in the year to to split working with her and to let her ruminate on that for a while and pledge to to come back with a with a renewed attitude i i have a lot of time for that and for me i can uh, the the difference that he makes is the most palpable of any coach now the, the the there are probably that's probably doing a disservice to loads of coaches whose difference being made is you know, more quiet and behind the scenes. I think Danny Valverde should be on the short, short list as well. But I can Severin s- Luthi. Yeah, they all should. But look, I can see the difference he makes. I can see the player is the player that Halep is with and without him, and that speaks volumes for what a coach he is. Yeah, fair. Okay. Meltdown of the year, David. Um, it's one of those that I, I sort of put in, and it's a silly category, isn't it, really? But it's, it's one I've typically put in as a, a bit of comedy value for my own amusement when I've seen somebody slam their racket into smithereens a number of times and things like that, which I do find quite amusing and enjoyable. But there's also a slightly sinister side to that category as well. And, and if we're going to say worst meltdown of the year, then it would be Fabio Fanini for me, who whose despicable behaviour uh, at the US Open, um, Nyon got him kicked out of the event and the way he treat, abused an umpire, uh, and, and that sort of thing just just shouldn't be happening. That isn't funny. It's not. There's no, no upside to that whatsoever. I also think another meltdown of the year for me would be a slow, lingering one of Kristina Mladenovic, who's just gradually faded away uh, as the season has gone on. I mean, I hope she can come back re-energised, but um, yeah, I think she lost something like 12 matches in a row at the end of the year in the end. Unbelievable, and finished the second-ranked Frenchwoman. Yeah. Shows, shows how good she was in the first half Absolutely. of the year. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to be arguing with anything that you said about Fabio Fanini, so we'll consider that um, we'll consider that set in stone, shall we? Yeah, I think I might remove Meltdown of the Year next year. <laughs> Goosebumps moment of the year, David. Now, I, I, I feel like, I, again, we've got two here that go hand in hand. We've got Goosebumps moment of the year and tears-inducing moment of the year. So Goosebumps first. David gets Goosebumps just sitting down in Costa Coffee to talk about tennis. So, <laughs> Yeah, I do get quite excited. <laughs> so, 
um, what he's going to pick is well, his favourite. There's quite is, a few uh, here. Um, Rosanna Ball and Anna-Marie Batson both say Lopez winning the title at Queen's, which was an incredible oh, moment yeah. for him, wasn't it? Because, you know... It, it was just a life-affirming moment for him. That was a career definer. And incidentally, he's another little story of uh, the last few weeks in that he's now the tournament director uh, of the Madrid Open um, from 2019. He's going to be assistant tournament director next year. Uh, somebody here, Daniel, has said Kvitova against Venus in the, the final set um, recently. Um, there was, uh, let's see, the fifth set of the Australian Open. Uh, says Dougal Williams, uh, Ostapenko winning the French Open. Mike Tomlinson says La Decima. Yavidan Kakaria says, I, uh, I would, I would probably go ultimately for one or two of the the results that that Federer produced, um, particularly during the Australian Open. I think when he beat Thomas Burdick um, with tennis, that was making me laugh. That it was so absurd in its brilliance. That was the moment that I thought. Hold on a minute. He's not finished. He's not finished. He's still going to take our breath away. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you. I remember we recorded um, our daily podcast that night on on the hill in front of a big screen uh, where lots of people watch and and every single person stood stock still watching the screen to to see his reaction to that match and that performance and usually they're all scurrying for the exits you know it was probably what 11 or 12 at night by that point um and that I think we both had goosebumps in that moment um so I mean you'd probably have to go for the final against Nadal wouldn't you in the winning moment but because there was a a Hawkeye challenge on match point the actual moment of his winning the that's the whole the whole match was goosebump inducing but that actual moment wasn't quite as goosebump inducing as it could have been uh, which is a shame one of those things and of course Magrutha Venus was uh, Wimbledon was decided on a Hawkeye challenge as well um, so yeah I, I think maybe that that Burdick match and, and the moments thereafter um, I'll uh, I'll give you that one, David. Yes. Because we experienced it together and it, it, it was quite something, wasn't yeah. it? I mean, we can only go with what gave us goosebumps, I suppose. Um, now, tears-inducing moment of the year. Um, other than every match I've watched with PMT, um, what can we go for? Um, well, you tell me. Well, I can tell you what I've gone for. I've gone for, for two involving the same man... Or two matches involving the same man. I've, uh, I mean, my overall winner, and I, I almost don't want to dwell on this because it will probably make me cry, um, is a match I uh, reported and commentated on um, for Five Live at Wimbledon involving Steve Johnson and Marin Cilic. And uh, it was two sets of love and a breakdown with Steve Johnson, uh, at, I think, in the third round. And uh, he sat down, of course, only, what, at this stage, it would have been six, six weeks probably after the the death of his father um, who was also his coach and was the reason he was playing tennis uh, and he he sat down at the change of ends put a towel over his head and sobbed he was completely overcome and uh, I was completely overcome it was it was um, it, it, yeah I, I cried in the commentary box so the, the very definition of a tears inducing moment the, the other tear inducing moment from the same tournament was seeing Marin Cilic cry Oh, yeah. in the final um, knowing that um, circumstances entirely outside of his control were preventing him from giving his best effort in the biggest moment of his life that was tough I mean still eclipsed by Steve Johnson but that was tough I think another one for me would be Lucic Baroni uh, at the Australian Open when uh, after all she'd been through her life was finally given its full Circle its meaning in many ways when she she reached the semi-finals of the Australian Open and uh, you know more than a decade after she'd first been to a, a Slam semi and and uh, and that that really moved me um, immensely. But you're right, there have been a lot of them for for positives and negative reasons. Yeah, probably know. every match in the immediate aftermath of Petra Kvitova's comeback was was yeah. pretty emotional, wasn't it? Um, from <laughs> from the positive to the negative most disappointing player of, of the year 
Given that you've put this category in, you are not allowed to fence it here. I want you to damn someone. Well, you know, I've, I've just had one come to me, um, which I find quite hard to say in a way. Um, but I think maybe Dan Evans, in a way, because he, he'd finally cracked it. He finally cracked it. And I think back to a year ago when we went into the Australian Open and, and he, he, he got to the fourth round. I was listening back, as I said, to those podcasts of last year and how uplifting his tennis was and how great it was to see somebody you always hoped would do well. Particularly, I mean, I thought he's from my, my neck of the woods and, and, I, and he cracked it. He could be a tennis player for the rest well, his of his... Well, his victory also over Marin Cilic is a running theme here of Cilic, but... That yeah. was a goosebump-inducing moment. And for I, me. you know, I like I like Dan, but he blew it. I'm afraid, and and I hope he no I hope for his sake and sake that he, he he makes a comeback and he can make a go of it. But you know, I find that a real shame, um, and it's all his own fault, and it's just the way it is. So, I, I think it, the other one for me would be Eugenie Bouchard, who I just feel. I don't know what she's doing with her career. She's but just that's not unique to 2017, away. is it? No, but the, the the you know you saw what she could do in that match against Maria Sharapova. She's a weird one, isn't she? Because she posts a lot of stuff on social media, a lot of training photos. If you just look at her social media, I know she posts a lot of other stuff as well, which I try and block out. But if you just look at her social media, you get the impression of somebody that is taking her tennis seriously, that does have an appetite for it. But then, given the level of talent. An ability we know she has. Can she be? I, I don't know. Just something doesn't compute with what's happened to Jeannie Bouchard in the last two to three years. I, I'm afraid um, I've gone for Andy Murray. Not that he personally has disappointed me, but what has happened to him this year has been immensely disappointing, well, without question. And if, this time last year, yeah. it was. I mean, everything he had done, you know, watching him win Sports Personality of the Year was goosebump and tear-inducing. And if you told him what was going to happen in 2017, it, it would have, well, more than tough to swallow, it would have been gut-wrenching. And it has been a gut-wrenching year, really. Um, and I, I think all the more so because the future still feels so uncertain yeah. for him. I mean, with... With Djokovic, as, as you said, about he, he's had that injury, but the impression that we're getting is that at least physically he will be able to to come back and make a good fist of it. Andy Murray might well be able to do that as well, but it is still very much an unknown. There's a question mark yeah. there, and that's immensely disappointing. Um, surprise of the year. Surprise of the year. Crikey. Well... I, I, I subtitled this, or I uh, gave this a, a subtitle of um, "What gobsmacks you the most." Nice bit of brummy there. I don't think "gobsmacks" is a verb, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Susie just, says, just so you know, David, I accidentally um, scrolled past this when I was inserting my answers. So what you say goes. Right, okay. I don't well, have an Susie answer. Susie says uh, Murray's loss to Misha's Zverev. It was a bit of a shock that one. Was it bigger than Istomin Djokovic though? No, no, probably not. Uh, Jack Sock making the year-end finals, says Ali. Um, Novak's fall-off, says Dorian. Was it Donskoy beating Federer? There we go, I'll no, go for that. I, I would say... Come uh, on. I, I think Tanya is on to one here. Sloane Stevens winning the US Open. I mean, Yelena Ostapenko is another one, I think. But either one of those, you could look at them and say, really? Really? Did that happen? I mean... I almost feel like more so with, with Stevens now because she's done absolutely nothing to back it up. It's just this suspended result in the middle of nowhere in her career. And there's nothing before or since, really. Obviously, she's, she had their awful injuries, so Tommy's she's had a terrible esque. time. Yeah. So I, I would probably go for, you know, yeah. Those two would probably be tied for me as the biggest surprise. The next category, David, also will be what you says goes because I abstain in protest. It's called So Bad It's Good, comma, Outfit of the Year. <laughs> yes, uh, it's a terrible award category, isn't it? Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I would say uh, the only one that, that, that 
The two, the two outfits that I really recall of any note actually are not so bad it's good. They're so bad it's still bad. I, I, I should say that when David and I briefly um, discussed how we were going to do this uh, award show uh, before uh, we started recording, this was the category that David spoke with most passion and venom about. <laughs> Suddenly there was a look in his eye that scared me. Well, Alexander Zverev, what, I mean, that outfit he had on at the US Open with the long socks... You know, it was appalling. I th- but I think we're just not um, young enough to appreciate I'm it. It wasn't aimed. Enough. It wasn't aimed at you, David. I'm afraid to I say could, it. I could pull that off. My feeling about that outfit was it would have been fine if he'd won the tournament or reached the final, but it looked pretty silly losing, losing in the second, second round. round. To Born a yeah, it yeah. ended up looking silly. Yeah. It did, it did, but I just don't it, think it, was, it worked. It was an outfit designed for iconic trophy-lifting photos. And the other one, I'm sorry to say, Roger Federer fans, that shirt he was wearing at the end of the year, uh, what that off-white little kind of, I don't know even what it was, little pink number, it was just, just appalling. I thought it was fine. I mean, I, the, honestly, the She's venom with it. which David is describing Roger Federer's completely inoffensive end-of-year shirt... Um, is a bit uh, alarming. A tennis podcast episode of the year, David. This <laughs> is a very self-indulgent category. <laughs> um, so we'll cover it very quickly. I've gone for the Mary Carrillo episode because I'm a fangirl. Obviously, me too. Right, okay. Uh, that's that done then. And I'm not even sure I'm going to read out the next two categories. Best prediction of the year and worst prediction of the year. Well, um I mean, let's just look at Melanie's predictions for best prediction of the year, shall we? I, I, I would say uh, my Fed Cup and Davis Cup champions and nearly getting Garbiny Magarutha right. Honestly, the haste with which David ordered that the final calculations be made um, for our predictions table when he realised or remembered that at the beginning of the year he'd correctly predicted the Fed and Davis Cup champions. Suddenly emails were going out left, right and centre to our to our stats guy uh, and our graphic designer. Mock up that table, mock up, get it done. Get it. We need to release this, the people need to know. Yeah, well, it, it catapulted me into fourth place. I think bottom line, none of us covered ourselves in I mean, glory. We were, it was an appalling year for tennis <laughs> predictions, wasn't it? Because, I mean, when you start off the year, if it, it, we, we've got this on the website, by the way, all of our predictions for the year, at the start of the year. The, there is nobody who said that Rafael Nadal or Roger Federer would win the Australian Open. Not one person said it out of about 15 of us. Nobody said that they would be anywhere near the top of the rankings at the end of the year. Everybody said Murray and Djokovic would be. We were all wrong. Because you have to... to um you have to go with the evidence. I mean, we're all just no, we're feeling just our way rubbish. in the dark, aren't we? Well, I'm usually pretty good. But then if you predict something completely um, nonsensical, like Bernard Tomic reaching quarterfinals of the US Open, you get laughed out of town, well, which I would have been if I predicted Ostapenko to win the French. So you can't do right for doing wrong unless you are Melanie Bowes. And I think Melanie Bowes probably deserves to have the last word in this end-of-season award show. She won... She won 2017. She won 2017. So congratulations, Melanie. We hope you enjoy our end-of-season Christmas do. And we, David, will be back uh, one more time in 2017 with one final podcast. We have been The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport, and we'll speak to you soon. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.